Welcome to Music Crush, a new music podcast hosted by the Flute New Music Consortium. I'm Nicole Reiner. And I'm Elizabeth Robinson. And announcing FNMC Presents, an album of previous commissions and competition winners performed by members of the Flute New Music Consortium. Repertoire includes works by Sean O'Pebolo, Joseph Hallman, Becca Sims, Cherie Slider, and others. Purchase a copy today. All proceeds go directly to FNMC. Flute New Music Consortium, Inc. is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Your contributions are tax deductible to the extent allowed by the law. Visit www.flutenewmusicconsortium.com for details. So I had a question for you based on an experience I was having a couple of days ago. Um, I was looking for a piece with a super specific instrumentation and I was really wanting for it to be written by a living composer and you know I have I have certain criteria for myself as far as like identity or background or topics or styles but I kind of went through my hit list of my you know four or five people whose whose catalogs I always check and then I wandered to a couple of other catalogs of people I'm, you know, semi-familiar with or whose names I've heard recently. And I, I got kind of frustrated that there's not a central location like maybe there have been in the past when you could just go to a publisher's website and click an instrumentation. Um, how do you find new pieces for specific instrumentation in a world where at least 50% of the composers are self-publishing and therefore only available on their own websites. Yes, I mean, that, that is an interesting question. I think we've sort of been privileged in the past to have um, a place like Flute World, where, <laughs> at least, you know, for anything traditional, and they try to get some of the new air quote stuff too, but like, you know, we we both we both grew up you know just going to flute world for everything and looking for instrumentation and this is this was a, a pretty um it's never extant but it felt like an extant catalog right because it's so huge but well, even in the early 2000s it might have been like if it was available through a major publisher it would you know you wanted flute and clarinet you go yeah. to flute world flute and clarinet and it might take you 10 years to go through the 50 pages of right. results but there were 50 pages of results, and that was all of the flute and clarinet literature that was seemingly available. Yeah, I don't know if that was ever true. I think, you know, they've always been probably a little slow on the upswing with the new music. But there was so much, and when we were younger, and there was so much, like, standard rep we hadn't learned yet, it felt like never-ending, right? Like, never-ending yeah, possible. So. Maybe some of it was... I don't I don't think other instruments have that, you know? Like, they don't? I think, I think we're spoiled to have that anyway. How and do they so, live? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't think that there is a good comprehensive source. Now, there are some organizations, I think, that are trying to, trying to curate composers that are meaningful to them. So, like, the, do, you, do you ever um, follow, like, the Boulanger Initiative or Boulanger Collective? Boulanger <laughs> Initiative. So, I mean, they have a lot going on. You know, like, they try to... Um, they're a nonprofit organization celebrating, performing, and supporting music composed by women. Advocates for women and all gender marginalized composers. Um, so I found them on Instagram somehow. But they, they're um, building, I think, a catalog on their website to make it easier to find music 
for various instrumentations written by women. Hmm. Anyway, now that's still a limitation, you know. It's, it's I mean, it's something I'm very interested in, but you know, so I, I short answer to your question. I don't think there's one place you go, but I think you know there are there are organizations that are you know sort of carving out these niche catalogs that you can search. I guess that's good. I would be interested in a list of niche catalogs because I found yeah. myself being like, well. FNMC just commissioned Rena Esmail, so maybe I'll go see if Rena has anything for this instrumentation. Like, oh no. Yeah. Uh, and then I thought, oh well, you know, I was just listening to the music of Kevin Day. Let me go see it up if he's got anything. And he had something close, so I got really excited until I got to you know the eighth instrument was the wrong instrument, and I was like, oh saxophone, it's ruining my <laughs> my search on this particular occasion. I was gonna say saxophone ruins everything, but I don't wanna anybody um and then I was like well who else have I like worked with lately and I've been emailing back and forth um about a, a solo flute project with Alex Ford who was involved oh, in yeah. our competition a couple mm-hmm. of years ago and he's doing this really cool like solo flute mythology thing and I was like I wonder if Alex has anything for this instrumentation and you go to his website and he doesn't and I'm like well crap that's, that's like hours. the three people that I can think of off the top of my head yeah yeah, I don't, I don't know how other <clears throat> instruments have, have ever done it. Word of mouth, I guess. I've, I mean, this was one of the things I was excited about when I first joined FNMC because I felt even more clued out. Yeah. You know, and just, just um, the composition competition, you know, a lot, of, a lot of those finalists and winners are either already developing, you know, some pretty decent careers or go on to do so and so I feel like I've learned about a fair number of composers through FNMC but even uh, we know because we're the ones doing all the work behind the scenes to to find these pieces and commission pieces and that's definitely limited as well sometimes I just pull something up on YouTube and then just go down that wormhole of suggestions on the right hand side and start discovering people that way but again, it's it's like it's aimless and it's a real investment in time. So it would be interesting. I, I don't know who would take on a project like that to create something that would be an attempt at a comprehensive catalog of works. And I support composers wanting to publish their own, you know, to self-publish, but that, that also you're right, it does make it more difficult to know that they're out there if you don't already know to ask about them. Yeah, I want to be super clear. I'm not poo-pooing self-publishing. Oh, yeah. It, yeah, was, just, it was just a, a hurdle because, yes. you know, a lot of the composers who are self-publishing are sort of earlier or mid-career or haven't, you mm-hmm. know, won the Pulitzer or, you know, whatever right. it is that means you've, like, arrived and are an enormous entity and too expensive to commission what <laughs> I wasn't necessarily looking to commission I just okay. I, I had a, a hole in a in a chamber ensemble and it's because of other situations it's a like a really specific instrumentation and so I was like I know literally two pieces for this instrumentation and they're the two that I've already programmed but I need yeah. a third and I I feel I don't know I feel really strongly that I like you know as, as a person I can do the same thing over and over and over again and my husband's always teasing me that like we go to the same restaurants and I order the same thing but in my professional life I don't want to like always order the same chicken strip 
you know, entree, whatever, I want to like branch out and try something different. And I thought, you know, if I can fill this hole in my, my programming with somebody that I don't know personally or whose music I don't already know really well. And then I like, I look around at other ensembles that I, I admire and I think they're doing great things, but it seems like some of them are recycling the same 10 or 15 composers between them. Right. And I know some of that is like, you know, so-and-so went to school with so-and-so, mm-hmm. so they like have a working relationship. Yeah. And, you know, I value that so much in my own life that I'm not poo-pooing that either, but, you know, I my network from school is maybe not as large as I would like for it to be, mm-hmm. and my network from professional stuff is... I think pretty impressively broad considering my level of comfort with social activities and people I don't know very well, <laughs> but you know, it's, it's, it's definitely like a, a certain type of people and a, a certain like swath of the population. And I, I feel as somebody with, you know, like a, a moderate amount of resources. I want to like bring other people up to my little buoy of, of musical success. And so like, can I find a composer who maybe isn't as connected with the flute community? Right. But my network is the flute community. Right. So like, yeah. how do I find that person? Um, and I, it's, I, I ran up against this. Like I want someone that I don't know. I want, Mm-hmm. Someone in a style that maybe I would initially look at or hear and think like, I don't know if I can do that, but then I'm going to, we're going to grow and we're going to make a new friend <laughs> and we're going to have a more diverse musical experience. Yeah. And then the internet is huge. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a good question. I don't, I don't have a satisfying answer to it. In the early days of early ish days of Facebook, I mean, I don't think I was one of the first people on there for sure, but I don't know, like in the aughts, um, I was in a trio with saxophone. So there, saxophones listening. I love you. Uh, saxophone (laughs) and piano, right? So it was flutes and saxophones and piano. And as you know, as you can imagine, that meant that we had to go hunting for music to transcribe or to commission. And I, at that time, Facebook was such a different animal, but, you know, there were some groups in fa- on Facebook called, like, you know, there was one that was, like, the um, Performers and Composers Matchmaking Society or something it was I've called. i something like that. There were a couple groups with those kinds of names, and I joined them, and I got on, and I said, like, hey, I, had, I have this instrumentation trio who's, who's got suggestions. And we got a few really nice pieces from it that we enjoyed playing. I don't know, I don't know if there's an environment, you know, musical, like new music Twitter is that, is Lisa Neer in our interview with her was very positive about that, that maybe Twitter in in general is a dumpster fire, but she said new music people or new music Twitter was still a place she liked to go. I don't know. I Twitter is undergoing some identity crisis. Oh yeah, yeah. Due to you know internationally recognized. Yeah, yeah. but <laughs> so I and I so I, I only like hover yeah. on the fringes of that particular. I don't know if social anyway. media could could do a good thing in that way, but I would like to think it could. I but, mean, I guess yeah. I remember doing a call for scores once for a different project with a different instrumentation and some of the pieces we got were interesting and some of the pieces we got were 
probably quite good and I just wasn't the target demographic. Um, but I, I guess an experience I had with that call for scores and to a lesser degree, no, no, not to a lesser degree, to another degree as the coordinator of FNMC's mm -hmm. composition competition, yeah. particularly in the early days when we didn't put so many restrictions on the types of pieces that we could take. Um, you know, because of where I live, like when we started FNMC, I was living in central Kansas, so we were literally two hours from any metropolitan area of any kind. And now I live in South Dakota, which is probably one of the bottom five least populated states in the yeah. country. So like other musicians are thin on the ground and mm -hmm. instrumentation is tricky. Um, you know, I, you put out a call for scores or you're, you're communicating with, with composers who are very wisely for their careers centered in New York or Boston or LA and like what's practical for them is wildly impractical for me. Yeah. And I, I remember a really early FNMC experience where we had a composer that had a piece for Perot Ensemble, which is, you know, something a lot of composers write for as they're going through their training. And it was a, a lovely piece and I'm sure it was gonna make performers very happy. But, you know, our board at the time was living in rural Oklahoma, <laughs> rural Kansas yeah. and Pennsylvania and not like the city part of Pennsylvania. So mm -hmm. we were all like, I only know two violinists who play new music at all, and one of them doesn't get out of bed for less than a couple hundred dollars. Like, this isn't happening for me. And, yeah. you know, on top of it, you know, I, most of us were, were freelancers and adjuncts at the time. So, mm -hmm. like, university resources were not a thing. Wasn't going to be able to pay anybody. It was going to have to be a volunteer. And a lot of string players in the area where I was living, at least, wouldn't play with me unless I was writing them a check. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's I think, challenging sometimes when you like put out that call on the internet, you know, in good faith, I want this and this and this, and they're like, well, what about this? And you're like, mm, does that work for my life? Uh, often for me, the answer is like, no, it really has to be like two flutes and an accordion or something. Right. Like, insanely yeah. specific because those are the people that are standing near to me in this particular moment uh, and I haven't figured out a good workaround for that yeah no me neither yeah and I've uh I mean it's interesting I think some it's it, I'm not a composer and I can only imagine that you know when you conceive of something sounding a certain way you really don't want to have to make compromises for that. Well, and I don't want them to have to either. I just, like, I I would love, I would love to play in a Perot ensemble. It's just, you know, my university doesn't have a string program, yeah. so we're not going to be doing that right now. Right. Um, nothing against Perot ensemble, nothing against somebody else's, like, artistic vision. Just not for me right in this moment. Right. Well, and I was, I mean, it, it, it's... It was interesting talking to Jessica Rudman because oh, sure. she she was talking about trying to be flexible in the way that she conceived of her musical ideas sure. and and recognizing recognizing the fact that she wanted her music to be played over being a specific ensemble. You know, so I think composers are probably like everything else, you know, lie on a spectrum between practical and impractical. Now, notably, you know, she, I think in that conversation, she mentioned Pirro Ensemble. 
She um, did, and I, which I laughed. Neither one of us, <laughs> neither one of us can do a pirou ensemble where we live. Um, it's interesting that she's just finished her first year in, at University of Utah, which is in Salt Lake City, and sure. you know there's a symphony there, but. But um, having moved from Connecticut, I wonder if over time she will also see something like Kuro Ensemble as being less practical than she does now. Um, but I liked I liked the spirit with which she talked about that this idea that well you know you want to you want you want to write music for the people who want to play it and I, you should be flexible. But I have certainly run into composers who don't don't feel that way also, and you know I guess we all just. We find our people. I guess so. I just, I, like, in my current mode of life, I find it is easier to play with a flute quartet, by which mm -hmm. I mean a quartet of four flutists. Yeah. And inevitably, if I say that to a composer who does not already know me or who is not also a flutist, they're like, oh, string quartet plus flute. Oh, like the Mozart quartet. Like the Mozart quartets yeah. is, is what they think. And they're, okay. there's, and even that's hit or miss. I, I find I get like fifty percent positive reaction when they think I mean the quartet with violins in it, and then when I clarify, like, no, um, I have basically made it my personal identity that I want to play in a quartet with other flutists because they're the only ones. I can consistently get to show up and hang out with me. <laughs> it needs to be a quartet of flutists. And then conversation just sort of dissipates. Why do you think do you think it's because it, it's veering towards the territory of flute choir, which has always, you know, forever and ever been such a hokey ensemble? Do people who aren't flutists know that it's a hokey ensemble? Is my first question. I think that's all they know of it is like the Little Red Monkey and like the you know the transcriptions and stuff from like the sixties. Do non flutists know about those? Depends on the schools they went to. Okay, I don't know. I don't know. I I I get the impression it's not serious and it's not academic, and mm -hmm. so maybe it's not taking their career, their reputation in the direction that they want to go, but like. I said I live in South Dakota so yeah. basically I've made it my identity like this is what I'm gonna do to make it work and this is this is what we're doing Jessica made me feel hopeful when oh, she good. when she was talking you know when she was talking about wanting to be practical and encouraging her students to be that way too and so I think yeah, that's uh, good. again as you said the internet is huge so it's it's finding it's finding those people you know finding the venues where you can say Hey, I'm putting this out into the universe, and yes, it really does have to be this instrumentation. Are you are you open to that? You know, is anybody there? So what's what's the instrumentation? Oh well, for this particular project, and again, not commissioning, so please do not inundate me with emails of your pieces. But um, for this particular project, I got a grant to put on a couple of performances for double wind quintet, which I realize is mm. wildly impractical, also. Mm -hmm. But there was a specific grant that funded this opportunity for me to be wildly impractical. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to lean into it. Um, <laughs> but we had, we had one piece, and I found another by a composer that I know a little and like their music a lot. So I was like, oh, finally, an opportunity to play you know, this person's music. Yeah. And I don't want to out anybody because none of this is like out in the world yet. Um, but then looking for a third piece mm. for a double wind quintet or instruments only contained in a double wind quintet was miserable. Mm. And so I, I, I must have gotten too excited by that second composer because I'm like going through the list of like other people whose music I've always wanted to play. 
And, you know, you, you, I found a lot of Perot ensembles, which yeah. is, I think, the reason that it's on my mind. Um, a lot of Perot ensembles. And I was like, well, crap, maybe I should have written the grant for Perot ensemble. I don't know. Um, and then I'd find, like, wind sextet or octet plus saxophone. And I'd be like, the saxophonist isn't in the grant. What, what's, your, what's your opinion of... Um, transcribing parts because like when when I had Verismo trio and we were looking for music you know sometimes I I, I heard this flute clarinet and piano piece at NFA one year and it oh, was yeah. so cool and I you know no filter at all just like as soon as the concert was over I jumped up and ran straight for them I must have fortunately I'm not like tall or imposing looking in any way I must have looked like you know I was stampeding them or something but the the trio who played so beautifully and the composer were standing together and I was like what would you think of that clarinet part being a soprano saxophone part because I really want to play this with my trio and he did it he was like I'm totally into it and he he was like please let me transcribe the saxophone part myself didn't didn't charge us a dime nice we I happily would have paid him but and some, some composers will be like, no, that's very offensive. Of course, you can't change sure. the instrumentation. But but some composers are totally into it. So I don't know. I, I mean, if you could find something that's like almost the instrumentation, and there could there could be a swap. Like, could there be a swap for that saxophone part? You know. I would not be opposed to it. I think for this particular project, because there's a time crunch, it needs to be what it is. Yeah. Um, and also there's not room there's room in the budget to buy scores and so I was really excited about supporting a composer through the purchase of their materials but there's probably not room in the budget to reimburse them for the time it would take to mm-hmm. turn a saxophone into a bassoon or something yeah um, I, in theory I, I don't have any issues with the idea as long as the composer is on board but I don't know I just I'm I I'm in a new place. I'm in a relatively new job. I have new, like, on-site collaborators. I want new off-site collaborators. Um, I'm really wanting to make friends with new composers. So mm-hmm. I was I was frustrated that I couldn't figure out a way to like expand my professional bubble. Um, and then I I, you know, as I'm I'm doing this, I'm I'm I have a couple of other sort of projects in the hopper. As I often do, where I'm reaching out to new composers or, or composers who are new to me, um, and you know they don't necessarily know me the way that I know them, and so they don't know that I'm gonna like go hard night mm. and day to make sure that whatever our resulting project is is you know promoted. Like, I think we touched on this the last time we talked to Nicole Chamberlain. I don't have a lot in the way of a budget. Um, you know, a lot of all of the commissions I've done up to this point have been self-financed. So it's it's not coming from the grant. It's coming from my vacation fund. Like I didn't, yeah. we didn't go on a fancy vacation. We commissioned foul play because I like chickens. Wow. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, when I could like a new music hero. Well, I just I I like I like collaborating with people. I yeah. it, I make my friends through work, um, and so that has been really fulfilling to me but then you know I'm to a place where like my work friends want to work with other people because they need to expand their networks and mm-hmm. so for me it feels like a friend breakup Aww. where I'm like getting rejected by my friends and it's actually yeah. professionally wise for them to do but I'm like oh shit I need new friends there was my first 
Yeah. Music Crush Square. There it was. Ray um, for Elizabeth. <laughs> but I'm I'm sitting there thinking like this like sucks. I need more new friends. So I am reaching out to these composers who don't know me from Adam. And like my budget is, you know, out of my salary budget. So it's yeah. not like New Music USA budget. Right. And they don't yeah. know me, so they don't know that I'm hopefully bringing non-monetary value to the table. So they're quoting me the like New mm-hmm. Music USA price, which is millions of dollars a minute. Or it feels that way. How weird would it be? I mean, especially once your composer friends say to you, oh, I, no. You know, they haven't said no. They just do stuff with uh, other people, and it doesn't include me. And I'm like, oh, so we're only going to oh, play yeah. if I set it up? That well, sucks. Would it be weird? I mean, because um, somebody talked about this in one of our other episodes. It might have been Nicole, actually, talking mm-hmm. about like wanting wanting to, to know and be able to trust your performers. Um, and it made me think of like references, you know, like your your uh, current, like your 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 existing composer friends are really good references because they know how much you're gonna go to bat for them and how much you're gonna program these pieces and and promote them. And so, would it be weird to go to one of your composer friends and say, "Hey, could you introduce me to?" to somebody or be a reference for me, you mm. know, like what composers do you know who might also like to expand their catalogs um, and you could kind of vouch vouch for me and let them know how hard I'm going to work for them. That is, you are so smart. That has never entered my mind. I, I don't know. I mean, like, <laughs> is, there, is there a composer who might be like, what the fuck? Why oh, are you I'm sure. Why going to introduce you to somebody? You know, like. I'm sure. You could, you could stick your foot in your mouth with the wrong person doing that, so I don't know if it's smart, but... Well, I mean, I reached out to a bunch of composers that I don't know or I do know because, you know, like, FNMC worked with them or the other mm-hmm. organization that I commissioned with sometimes worked with them, and I was like, hey, I want to commission you not with them, with me, because Flute Quartet was, mm-hmm. was actually the conversation I had with several composers recently. And, like, you know, they come back with their rate, which I'm not going to say on the podcast because I don't want to make anybody feel good or bad about their rate but like it was a number that was not attainable for me mm-hmm. um and like one or two of them left the window open they were like does this work with your budget and mm-hmm. I was like girl no <laughs> but <laughs> let me tell you about the stuff I can do which is mm-hmm. you know I don't have a con like I can't put it in a contract because I don't have it in writing but this absolutely will get recorded in the next five years I just haven't figured out how yet um, and like, let me show you, I'm, and I've since updated my website. So this is easier if you want to Google stop me, like, you know, I commissioned this piece and it's been played at these conferences and I commissioned mm-hmm. this piece and it's been played at these conferences. Mm-hmm. And like my yeah. album is, is famously a bunch of pieces that nobody heard live before we recorded them. Cause I was like, here's my second FNMC swear. God damn it. I commissioned all these pieces and then no one's going to, and then the pandemic happened and we yeah. can't like play them and I, I can't have this on my conscience so get a microphone we're doing it um and so like I, I think if there's a door open yeah you can say like I can't feed your dog the fancy kibble I can I can support medium kibble but mm-hmm. I can do these other things for you uh, and like some of them are cool with that and some of them are like yeah no which I get yeah and that's fine, and mm-hmm. that's but like I would like to have more, maybe conversations, 
And then I, you maybe you can tell me about this because uh, I I did take a swing at a couple of composers who are like fancier than me, and are booking two and three and four years out. So mm. like it's twenty twenty three, and they're looking at twenty six or twenty seven for delivery. And I was like, that is fine. Mm. And they were like, and this is my number. And I was like, so that's gonna need to be a grant. Yeah. But then I look at all these grants and a large percentage of them are not for commissioning, which I did not realize until I started looking for ways to make magic happen. They're for putting on performances so like I could get paid, which would be new. I haven't gotten paid for any of my commissioned performances that I'm aware of. Um, but then the ones that are for commissioning, you know, it's, it's like... <laughs> <laughs> or aren't expressly against commissioning, I should I should say that. You know, the you write the grants in like November, they notify you in like January, the money is available to you in like February and the project needs to be closed a year from then. Mm-hmm. How do you time that with somebody that's booked three years out? Uh I don't think you can. I mean like uh, this is this is a terrible answer, but I just think grants are really hard. They're really hard to get and they're really hard to write for. And so, yeah, I mean, like, I, I suppose what you could do is reach out to the composer and say, all right, I'm looking at this. Is there any way we could craft something together that we could commit to that would work? But yeah. Some... Is that what people do? They're just like, well, I'm writing this grant, so if it comes, you get this window, and if it doesn't come, then JK, you don't need to do this at all? Or is like, well, I mean, that's between you and the composer. I think you say, yeah, I'm writing this grant. Are you down with this window? Um, <laughs> like, would you, is this, is this something that's feasible? Or tell me what is feasible, you know, that, that could fit within these parameters. And then if we don't get the grant, then let's put it, let, let's put it on the back burner and let me keep working to find funding. It's messy. It's messy. It's like, it it's a, messy. It's a messy world, the grant world. Well, but like, how else do people, I mean, consortiums, but... Out-of-pocket grants and consortiums are the ways that I know. Okay, so consortiums, I mean, pluses and minuses, I, like, I don't, I like... I wonder how easily people, I mean, like, we, we do our consortium commissions quite differently, but, like, you know, the individuals who randomly send out emails saying, I want to buy a piece, do you want to chip in, you know... I always, I, I, I've never done one of those. Um, I wonder how easily they get their people. My issue with those has always been that the person that initiates it does the premiere. And so part right. of it is like, it's, well, what am I paying for? And I, I know that's selfish. Them like a fancy gift. No, I don't think it is. I mean, if you're going to help pay for a piece, then you want more of a stake in it, which is, you know, why we do it the way we do it, right? But yeah, I just, I wonder if that's ever successful for people. I think it must be because people keep doing it. Although I did have one that I like passed on or didn't, I just didn't respond. And then six months later, uh, an opportunity for that instrumentation fell in my lap and I was like, oh God, where's the email? But I couldn't find the email and there's like no information about it online anywhere. Mm -hmm. And so I emailed the person who initiated it and they haven't responded. And I'm just like, did it disappear? Did I imagine this? What's, yeah. Um, I think they'd want your money if nothing else. I wanted to give them my money because I yeah. wanted to play the piece, but I yeah. I, I mean, for some of the bigger name composers, and again, I'm not talking about like 
Pulitzer Prize winners or people who are writing film scores or whatever, just people who are, you know, charging a rate which is out of the realm of possibility for me unless we never do anything nice, which I think my husband would object to. Uh, like he likes to eat appetizers at restaurants sometimes I like to play flute quartets and those two things don't always work together I don't know either okay so there's not a neat solution to that I think I asked Nicole Chamberlain that and was recently re-listening to that interview and didn't get an answer I liked yeah I think it's just just very individualistic and again it's you know fishing for the, the right person to really be a partner with you on the project and and that includes you know kind of writing through the ups and downs and the stalls that might happen with funding but if they're like in a career place where they don't need you because they're in demand like how do you find a person that's going to let you do the ups and downs because a couple of the people I want to work with like I'm very aware of their social media and I am 100% aware that we are going to be best friends when they wake up and give me the time of day but <laughs> in this particular interaction, I'm just like a crazy lady with a flute in her email that wants a flute piece. Yeah. And I don't know how to go from being like a business transaction to a person that is going to... Maybe that's the reference thing you were, yeah. you were talking about. But I, I feel like if they knew me, they would feel differently. Well, I guess how, how, how can you let them get to know you? Just interact with them for a while on social media? If that's a thing they do. Yeah. If there's a human being that can be a conduit between you and that person. <sighs> Networks are so hard. Yeah. I find myself frequently envious of other people's networks from school. I went to some smaller schools. And so I think one, maybe two of the classmates that I'm still in touch with are in music at all. Mm-hmm. And then my doctoral program was bigger. But again, not that many of my classmates are still doing music. But then I like roll up at this festival that I'm doing right now and everybody knows everybody from like 10 other things. Or we walk into a rehearsal space and I overheard somebody saying, oh, this building always reminds me of Eastman. And I was like, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Have you had much success with expanding your network beyond people you knew from school or your My network is not my former classmates. At all. I don't ever do a stack of work with anyone I went to school with. Okay. I see other... I see other people whose degrees seem to cluster. And so I have had the impression that it is... Maybe. Maybe sometimes. Maybe maybe sometimes. The friends that I... I mean, like, and I, I have friends from my schools, and I'm in touch with them, and we, you know, reminisce or talk shop or whatever, you know. Um, but I don't... I don't do professional things with them, actually. Not not because I don't want to. I don't think that I was particularly savvy about oh, I absolutely about um, networking at at school when I, when I was in school. And so, like, I'm in touch with some people I used to do chamber music with, um, but just as friends, not because we're trying to do stuff together again. The friends that I've made have been from um, just marching up to people and telling them I like their work at festivals and conferences. Okay. You know. Okay. And it's not... I definitely don't consider myself to be an extrovert, but I have relaxed... I I have become less self-conscious over the years about, like, hey, okay, I'm at NFA, and this, this guy wrote this cool trio, and 
I might look like some crazy lady, some crazy auntie shoving shoving myself in his face, but I'll never see him again. So if I embarrass myself or think I'm a weirdo, then we just don't have to talk again, you know. <laughs> I mean, like, I won't see him again unless we make a connection. Right, 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 together. right. The, so the stakes are low. <laughs> I've had to, yeah, I've had to, I mean, I think, um, it was, it, when I was in school, I took for granted that there was all this great stuff going on around me, because there was, and I didn't have to go fishing for it or think about networking. And then when I left school and I moved out here, all of a sudden I was like, oh my God, I'm all alone. I don't know anybody. Yeah. That doesn't seem like there's anything interesting or of, of a high musical standard going on around me, you know? And I wasn't totally right about that, but it took me a while to get to know people and find out the little the little cool creative nooks and crannies around here. But it was, it was after school that I was like, shit, I better figure out just how to get over myself and make friends because I have nothing satisfying going on. And so I think for me, it was just like, out of great necessity, I just started like forcing myself to be less shy, even though it was very uncomfortable at first. Cause I, I was more desperate to just like make connections with musicians and uh, other artists that I admired and just like have something, something satisfying going on in my life. I have a really hard time doing that unless I have like a reason to talk. To them, like FNMC has been. You great. do have a reason to talk to them. You're looking for you're looking for people to collaborate with. <laughs> I mean, but like when we were we were starting FNMC and it was all about spreading you know the gospel of this new consortium. I mm-hmm. feel like I I expanded my flute network exponentially during that time because I had there was like a because she was doing it through the specific purpose. organization. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I well, know way more flutists than I had any business knowing at that juncture but I I have had a harder time convincing myself that I have the same purpose or like there were talking points I guess so there was a structure to it which worked a little bit better for the way that my brain is wired yeah I mean thank you for your service that's wonderful that's wonderful I would say um I mean your your dedication to FNMC is beautiful and I think you you are also an organization that deserves the same dedication from you that was weird wording, but you know, like <laughs> you, you, you deserve to invest in your own projects the way that you, you know, jumped over those hurdles to invest in FNMC's projects. So it all comes down to social skills. You, yet well, again. you have them. You have them, though. It's but just you like, known me, like you really deserve. <laughs> you deserve to put that energy into yourself the way you did into FNMC. Yeah, it feels different. It's very funny to me because over the years, you know, I've gotten to know you much better, of course, because that's how friendships work. Um, but, you know, and you, and you, you know, reflect upon your air quotes, you know, lack of social skills and things. But I can think of so many, so many instances where your social skills seems excellent with strangers, but also the way I met you. Oh dear. <laughs> Do you remember? I I I am not sure which anecdote you're gonna tell, so go ahead and tell The it. first time you called yourself an introvert after I got to know you, I was like, uh, is she getting the words mixed up? So, you know, the way that the way I remember meeting you, like for reals in person talking, was that you were on the board of Oklahoma Flute Society and I went to that to the to the flute fair that year. And uh, I met you at the registration table, 
And I knew that you were also on the board of FNMC, which I had joined as a performing member, you know, a little bit before that, because I'd, I'd seen you all give your presentation at NFA. Um, mm -hmm. And I was like, I got on my phone and I joined while you were giving your presentation. That's hilarious. Um, but, but anyway, so I knew that I knew of you from FNMC, but I hadn't talked to you after that presentation. So this is the first time I'm talking to you like a year or two later at OFS. And, you know, so I, you know, like we shook hands or whatever we did and introduced each other, introduced ourselves. And then I said, by the way, you know, I'm a huge fan of FNMC. And if there's anything I can ever do to pitch in, just let me know. And you said, I think we should talk. Because as it turns out, the person I ended up replacing on that original board was, was on, on their way out. We, we had so that was just kismet in terms of timing, but... But you were just like, yeah, we should definitely talk because I think there's something, you know, that you could do. And then, it, yeah, you just seemed super, super uh, ready, ready to talk business and uh, easy. Yeah, but I was on the clock because I was oh. the year you were at, okay, at the so OFS Flute Festival. That was the year I was the, festival, the festival coordinator. Yeah. So I was at the registration desk. Because something had been on fire, or to <laughs> to un unfire something, and so I was very much in customer service mode. And then you brought up FNMC, which was like my other customer, customer service, service mode. mode. So um, how do you turn on that mindset of being on the clock and customer service mode for yourself? That's a really that's... great question. I don't know the answer. Um, as you were talking, I was I was I have this like thing I want to say that I that has been flitting through my head off and on but there was a, a time in my life when I wanted to be a long-distance runner so I was running more and I was going to a yoga studio a lot with a lot of other people that were long-distance runners and so I was I was talking to one of them and I was like yeah like I can I can consistently do a 5k and I can do it at a wow at a time that is, you know, maybe not impressive to real runners, but like, compared to me a year ago, it wasn't bad. Um, I was like, I just want to know, like, how long were you doing this before it stopped feeling miserable? And she's like, what do you mean? And I was like, I mean, I'm running and I feel like I'm going to die. Like, my heart's going to explode. My skin is hot. I'm sweaty everywhere. Like, you mm -hmm. look like a gazelle and I'm like trundling along. Mm -hmm. And she's like, it, it never stops feeling awful. And mm. I've been thinking about that a lot. Like, I, 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 th I had the realization the other day in a rehearsal that, like, I get really nervous about certain types of passages, and I've been, like, practicing them differently. And, like, I've, I've been picking the brains of other flutists to find out how to prepare for those passages in a more effective way. And I was getting really mad that it wasn't working and I was still really nervous and I thought about that exchange and was like oh it's never gonna not feel bad is it like it's not gonna sound bad but it's never gonna not feel it's bad it's gonna is fuck it. with you a little bit is networking always gonna feel bad question mark maybe gross okay or maybe you get more used to it I don't know running always felt pretty terrible I always sweat a lot I don't run, but I sweat a lot when I'm networking. Oh, I, I also sweat a lot when I'm networking, but I mean, which is people. how I know that I'm, I'm not an extrovert, because it's like nervous sweat just yeah. everywhere, which is why there are a lot of blazers, in case you've ever wondered, hides the evidence a little bit better. Clever. <laughs>
Yeah, maybe maybe networking is long distance running. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Music Crush. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also support the podcast, read show notes, and learn more about FNMC by visiting www.flutenewmusicconsortium.com.